G'day, welcome to another Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. Matt Rowley here. It's been another week and has been another loss, but there's probably no better way to address it but to have a bit of banter with the boys from the Egg Chasers. Let's get into it. Well, hello, Egg Chasers, and thank you very much for joining uh, myself. I'm Tim and Phil. Hi, Tim. And JB. Hello, Tim. Uh, we are the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast. Thanks for joining us on it for another very special podcast with our Aussie counterparts, the Green and Gold Podcast from Down Under, who, uh, well, before I introduce them, let me just set this. Let's just set. Oh, lovely bit of Jerusalem, Phil. Isn't that beautiful? It's nice. Conjures images of England's green and pleasant lands, rolling hills, and victorious rugby team. Um, anyway, good day. Green and Gold podcast. Hello. G'day, fellas. You're not in Europe anymore. You're not <laughs> in Europe anymore. Yeah, look, that's all I've got. Sorry. Uh, my favourite hour of the week is always calling into the Matt Rowley show. <laughs> <laughs> don't so start, Jamie. Got... Please don't. I get enough oh, of it on our just podcast without having <laughs> you guys in on this as well. Uh, right. So I'll tell you what. Let, let's both do this. Um, um, get yourself the the best razor product uh, voted better than Wilkinson Sword and Gillette at the GQ Awards. Cornerstone.co.uk slash Egg Chasers for your ten pound discount and get your hands on that. And you guys, you've got a great sponsor as well. Uh, we have indeed. We're sponsored by Sporple.com, and um, I think probably uh, the you know the Wallabies will be using Sporple to see who they can dredge up to um, help stem this tide of losses. But um, yeah, get, get yourself on Sporple and find your talent. Oh. Firstly, boys. Uh, so it's, it's Matt and it's it's Hugh. Um, well done for not claiming some storm had knocked out your internet connection or something like that, and for for manning up and facing this as you have done all three weeks. No, well, it's been it's, we've been treating this like therapy, I think, Hugh, haven't we? It's the only way to do talk it out. <laughs> yeah, it's been a bizarre series because yeah, look, we've we've lost three nil, and and you know it's it's pretty bleak, but. It, yeah, they've been good games, and we've played pretty well. And I don't know whether that makes it better or worse, to be honest, that we've played well and still lost, or that we at least can hide our heads high and think that you know we've 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 played some pretty good rugby. I, I, I'm not sure how how you guys see it from your end, and you're just just happy to take the wins and 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 laugh about it. But um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, mixed emotions down here, that's for sure. I was quite interested in that because, funnily enough, uh, Rory Best, the island captain after South Africa, what what he was saying on the television was like, oh, I'm really proud of the boys. He seemed quite upbeat despite heartbreaking series defeat. And I would have maybe expected a little bit more pain and anguish from coming so close but coming up short. And yeah, but that's that's the reaction of a loser. I mean, well, that's, that's kind of what I, yeah. where I was at. I was wondering. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more an Aussie way. Like you say, you're, you are kind of a nation of winners generally, until, yeah. very much until now. Um, and that's that's the kind of approach. So I, I would expect you to be to be hurting, much like we were after the World Cup. Believe me. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think probably where you guys went with that though was that you knew you had some good players and just played appallingly in that game. Whereas, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, we've we've had things that haven't quite gone right, but you look at each of these matches, and especially like the first and this last one where we've scored more tries. And don't get me wrong, that's you know, it doesn't matter. You've got to win. And everyone thinks that, and everyone's like, my God, if, if this has happened to us now, what's going to happen with the All Blacks? But I mean, you know, having been at the game last night, up until the last, I don't know, five minutes or three minutes when it was clear we were going to lose it, it was just a fantastic game. I mean, just to be there and watch it, it was just, I mean, we were just talking about this before, weren't we? Was it 44-40 in the end for a test match? Yeah. 
I mean, you know, that was just crazy. I mean, and there was, there was just lots of great rugby. Um, but the, the thing that's just bizarre is, it, I don't know, you, Hugh, but it's just... What is it, what's that thing like, you know, the definition of madness is trying the same thing again and again and expecting a different result? And it does feel a bit that way. Like, we've just, you know, completely run our socks off, thrown the kitchen sink at it, and yet, you know, yet again, gone down by about a score. Um, it just it feels like, you know, deja vu all over again. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it is. Um, doing the same, well, you are doing the same things over and over again, but you are getting different results. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've... You've constantly scored uh, scored a lot of points. You could have won any, um, any of those test matches. It's not as clear as to say that strategies you're using aren't working and strategies that England are working. I mean, you take out that Jamie George try or you take out one of the calls from last week and all of a sudden we've got a, compl- a completely different test series. Yeah. But also, I mean, there's a, there's a base truth to, to all this that I think is it's the most unsettling truth of the whole series for Australian fans is... England are a better rugby team than we are, and that's it. You know, we can try any number of tactics, um, but at the end yes. of the day, the, the, we're coming up against a, you know, what is a better team, and they will just keep rising. And as they have done this series, they've keep they've kept on responding to everything we've thrown at them. And you know, last last night was a prime example where you know, Matt, I'm not sure if you were the same, but when Israel Folau scored his try, and I think we ended up we were up at that point 32-26, 32-25 or something, and with about 20 minutes to go, and I thought, okay, we're going to win this game now. You know, this is it. With the you know, last 20 minutes, England probably don't have a huge amount to play for. We're going to put the hammer down, and we're going to actually come away with this. And in the end, what happened was the exact opposite. England rose to the challenge, as they had done all series. That You know, they put the ball back down. They, they, they kicked their goals. They scored a couple of tries, and that was the game. Um, so, you know, that, that's just been the series. England are just straight out better, better team. And, and um, you know, that gives you a comfort on one level, but it's also incredibly uncomfortable on another level as an Australian sporting supporter. Just, just on that point, um, I'm not sure how much better England are. Well, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one area that England are definitely better and have been better in, in these three test matches, and it's kicking sticks. Mm. And... Foley's missed points. I mean, he left seven points out there in in that last match. You, you score them, you win the test match. Equally in the first game, if he'd have slotted his kicks early on, it wouldn't have been uh, England wouldn't have been ahead in the last minute when they scored that breakaway try. And again, the game goes differently because Australia are playing a different way in the last ten minutes. If you add another kicker in the team, or if Foley was kicking as he has done in the past for the for the Tars then uh, it might have been very different on both counts. Mm. For me, it was actually... The, the kicking is one thing, but it's the opportunity for the kicks that Australia have been giving away and that England haven't. And Yeah, yeah that's it. That's big. You know, that, that for me is... And that's the difference between the two teams. So what I notice, and, you know, it feels the same way so many times that Australia loses to the All Blacks, is quite often we'll have these games when the All Blacks don't actually rip us a new one. They just win by a score. And... These tests have felt exactly the same, and what the All Blacks will do, and it's just like the Highlanders have done to the Waratahs now for the last few years, is is just to say, guys, I'm just going to put you in a, that that part of the field. So as soon as the ball comes towards our halfway, we're going to put a bomb up. It's going to land in your 22. Um, you know, the, the territory is going to come our way, or your exit is going to kick the ball to us, and we're going to be back down there again. We're going to kick to corners, and then we're just going to wait for you to make a mistake because you will make one. And that's what we've done. I mean, 
in each of these games, even though we've, you know, when we've been a try up, there's been at least one, maybe two tries that England have scored, which isn't necessarily from fantastically orchestrated back or forward play. It's just simple pressure and mistake. Um, and the All Blacks do the same thing to, to the Wallabies, and we don't tend to do it to other teams. We tend to have to run 80 metres and do something fantastic with Israel Palau and whatever else. And I think what England's been great at in this series is just said, we're just going to put you in those parts of the field, put you under pressure, you'll give away a penalty and we'll kick it, or even better, you know, you'll fumble the ball back towards your own sticks or, you know, something like that that we'll pounce on and we'll turn it into points. And I think England have just been brilliant at that. Yeah, and I, but I completely agree with Phil that, that having someone who's knocked 25 out of 28 kicks over through the series, uh, a 90 or well, 89% kicker, uh, mm-hmm. is is so important at building that pressure, which then results in mistakes. Now, just 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 moving on briefly, gents, um, we've had a, we've had a bit of criticism in the week from some of our listeners um, that that we're all getting on too well and agreeing, and, <laughs> and, you, and you guys are being so brilliantly magnanimous in defeat. So let me try and drive a little bit of a wedge. Uh, the, the, <laughs> The front page of the Sunday Mail sports section says, well done, England. Now a second continent hates you as well. <laughs> uh, well that's if you ask Australasia as a, as, as a kind of continent. I suppose Papua New Guinea needs to pipe up and say something there as well. And did, New, did New Zealand count in that little continental mass? Yeah, yeah. why not? Yeah, bring them in. Yeah. They're basically so anyway, state. Yeah. Uh, and also, and the one thing, so I know you were just about to reply, Matt, but I'll just, I'm just going to try and drive a wedge even further. Uh, we've talked about it on our podcast uh, quite a lot, the the Fox Sports video pre-season where they, the, all the guys, all the pundits and ex-players and pros were, were laughing their heads off um, at England because Eddie Jones said it'll, it'll be a failure if we don't win the series mm. in Australia. And uh, I don't know who the big fella is. He kept spit, he had a sip of water and spat it out. He was the big lad in that team. It wasn't Rod Kafer or Tim Horan. Anyway, oh, is that Shawnee? I think it's Sean like Maloney. Maloney. Yeah, that's yeah. Maloney, that's it. Yeah. So he, uh, so he spat his water out of the prospect. They all had an old laugh. That video has been made private. Now, I didn't think anything could make me happier about a th- about a series than a three 0 win. The fact that they've taken the video down and disabled after the first test, they disabled comments because they were getting slayed. After the third test, they've uh. the video. The only thing that could have made it better. So there you go. That's my effort to drive a wedge between England and Australia. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you know my problem, and this has been my big problem with England. This is why there's been no wedges. Is that you guys really haven't stepped up and given us a villain, you know? And I thought it was going to be Dylan Hartley. I had high, high hopes for Dylan Hartley to come out and try and bite someone at the bottom of a rock or just mouth off or, you know, try and fly kick a small child in the front row. Um, and and he, he's, been, he's been subdued. He's been respectful. And, you know, I thought maybe after the first test, Itoji would get on our nerves, but he's kind of gone away. And this has yeah. been, you know, Haskell's been quiet and played good rugby. Like, I, you guys have got to work that out. I need, I need someone. I need a Chris Ashton. Bring him back. Yeah. Someone I can I, really hate. It's a hate. Uh, a guy that should really be getting an, uh, a nick his skin. Dan Cole. How about that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, point. He is yeah. yeah. The sperm's mouthing off. Late hit on late hit. Oh, and, and the fact, yeah. fact he does that all whilst looking like an oversized baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, worst part, the worst part is how he thinks he's such a good open field rugby player. I mean, that should annoy you just in itself. Mama's <laughs> Just walking all over you. He's great at the turnover. He is particularly good at the at the yeah. breakdown. Yeah, Not sometimes he is, and sometimes he just messes it up horribly. Well, he even scored a try this weekend. Yeah, really 
rub it in. Yeah, Brad, both prop score tries. Are, are you yeah. boys? Uh, are you boys down there familiar with the phrase which was started by Leicester City footballer and England striker Jamie Vardy? Uh, chat shit, get banged. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now yes. I, I think in Australia you should change it to chat shit, get farrelled. Because <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I know that all the talk was about Haskell being man of the series. But Owen Farrell for me is was the best player in in either squad. Oh, oh, no, just just wrong. Yeah, uh, wrong. Yeah, who would? So so, yeah. so you've got your wedge going now. Yeah, so, I can't yeah. I can't get on board with that either. Yeah, no, I was just thinking I was thinking about that. So I was thinking, so if we go to team of the series, and I was thinking, oh, you know, how many. Could, you know, could any Wallabies kind of squeak in there? Other than clearly Israel Folau over Mike Brown, who, by the way, is oh, he's just bubbling, just sub twat level. I mean, yeah, he, <laughs> he's, he's a potential next Ashton for yeah, terms of hateability. Yeah, that resting bitch face just uh, <laughs> just seems to be permanently across his dial. Um, anyway, but uh, yeah, I, mean, so, I guess maybe we'll get into this in sort of team of the series chat. But I was like, you know. Could I say, you know, for, for 10, for example, and I know that he's kind of switched around, he hasn't always played 10 or whatever, but, you know, Owen Farrell, even though I agree with you, his point kicking has kind of been the difference in the series, could I say he was the best 10? And I still wouldn't say yes. I think he's your, and here's another one for you guys, I think he's your Johnny Wilkinson. The guy can't run a back line. He can tackle, he can tackle and he can kick. But as a as a ten, I'd I'd put Foley over him, and I know that's even controversial here in Australia. I think Foley's a magnificent rugby player, a great runner. Mm. I'm not confident at all that he is a a great fly half though. Mm. Um, either is either is kicking out of hand. His distribution's okay. Uh, I think what you've got, you know, the best thing about him is that he can run and he's good yeah. going forward. The rest of it, I'm not I'm not I'm not too sure. But if if you were picking a backline, why not have them both? Because Farrell played all but thirty minutes at inside yeah, centre, and who who is the who would who would be competition for him at inside centre? I don't think the argument is between Farrell and Foley. I think the argument to see who the better player is there is Farrell or Ford. Because yeah. uh, yeah. Foley or Ford, because to me they're very they're very similar players. Yeah. Uh, whereas Farrell's just next level above them both. I, I would say slightly different though. It's always hard evaluating these inside backs, and you know. You've kind of, in one sense, got to separate kicking because, you know, place kicking because it is a wholly different sort of part of the game. But at the same time, you can never yeah. do that because it is so crucial and it's it's cost us so much. I will say about Foley, he tends to play better, and we saw it a little bit in the third test with someone else to do most of the kicking for him, you know, a Gitto or a Matt Tamur or someone who can at least take the pressure off. And he was, I think he did, he did you know, our kicking was still pretty average um, and, and really hurt us. But um, having Tamu there, I think, took a lot of pressure off him, and I think he played pretty well. Yeah, he, he did. And did you not think that the, the tide changed on, what was it, 50 minutes when Tamu came off? Yeah, I that mean, was weird. Yeah. Did he shoot himself in the foot there? It's like, oh, we've got a, we've got a playmaking 12. Oh, look, we, we're having success in the wide channels. England aren't looking as good defensively. Now we've got someone who's with distribution skills at 12. We'll take him off. Oh, we've lost. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, this, is, this whole series, though, is really, you know, it, it was... In check, we trust, right? Up until the end of the World Cup. And I think now everyone's kind of going, oh, really? Like, you know, this whole, you know, roll the dice game plan, which has got plan A and no other plan around it, uh, is sort of like, oh, well, you know, you lose a couple of players, you get another team who aren't making mistakes, and suddenly it just unravels. And no matter what we do, you know, it, 
the thing about last night was that it felt like no matter how many top tries we scored, you guys were going to be able to score one more and kick another goal. And it just felt yeah. like that. And that's how we got to that ridiculous scoreline, you know, 44-40. It was just this strange yin and yang thing um, that, that just kept going. Give you a quick word of wisdom here. If your national team may not be quite as good as you hoped it would do, mm. like Wales, I would suggest <laughs> it's best to keep to one game plan and do that really well. And sometimes, sometimes you win, then have multiple game plans which are substandard. And you guys are good at what you do. Mm. So I just stick with it. I, I wouldn't want any, uh, any of the strategy. I just want to be good at one thing and s- stick at that. Because and, and one, yeah. it will just generate into a nightmare. Well, and our game plan, Matt, and you've you got to say, like, regardless of, and, and, and I'm not sure how, how familiar you guys up there are with the last sort of 10 to 15 years of Wallaby rugby, but we've had this sort of weeping and gnashing of teeth over our playing style and playing attractive rugby. And the thing about Checkers' style is, yeah, look, we've lost these three games, um, but we've lost them in glorious fashion. And hmm. you know, all of or every single game has has been really, really great to watch. It's been one of the most entertaining Test series I can ever remember, especially yep. with England that don't, you know, our, our games against England in, historically haven't tended to produce this this type of rugby. It tends to be pretty slow and slog and set piece dominated. But um, this series has been pretty different. Do you think? Um... Do you think Jones, as an Australian, no, actually, as a human, feels much like the scientist in the Manhattan Project? And he's just stepping back now and thinking, what have I done? (laughs) (laughs) Because the the whole perception of this team, in the World Cup, you'd say England had a solid starting 15, not really much world-class, and, you know, that'll be that. Now, not only have England got a world-class 15, or how it's perceived, They've got a world-class bench, and that's, that, I think, has changed every game. Well, uh, I, I, I would just jump in there and say, we, no, after the World Cup, we were saying we have got, in that squad, players who are going to be the best in their position in the world, maybe half a dozen of them that could be right up there and get into, and get into an all-black uh, team, um, but maybe they're just not quite cooked I, yet. Yeah, cooked I think yet. We, we all agreed they had potential, yeah, but, yeah. but to realise that potential... Within less than a year. Well, well, well I want to te- I want to temper that because we we don't get to play the All Blacks until next autumn uh, or next summer. Yeah, next autumn, next summer's uh, next Lions. autumn. So yeah, they, Lions next. Yeah, look, so, they got an absolute. Um, they probably got the easiest of all the home nations, the All Blacks. So let's not read into them too much. Well, that's well, the thing about these whole this whole series. From mind is, I just wonder whether we're seeing you know you guys and us are two and three in the world, and we and this is all. And the box Ireland Wales are all uh, you know another step below. And if we'd been playing Wales or Ireland, we would be looking much better. And that's what sort of I, I tell myself to try and get to sleep at night because it's got to be something at this point. Um, uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, going back to the, the sort of Eddie Jones thing, and I, I sort of mentioned that I, I, I sort of screwed my face up when I saw Tamua going off yesterday. But uh, versus Eddie Jones's changes, Burrell, uh, Burrell in week one changed <laughs> oh, the game. 13, yeah. 13. Um, and then also, it was quite a big call, and it was relatively early to go, uh, Harrison, it's not working, mate. Courtney Laws, you're on. Um, and, and rejigged the England pack, and that worked as well. Why did everyone think that happened? Because Harrison just didn't look good. I agree. I, did you see, there's a passage of play, he had like three, he was the guard at three rucks, and he kept on looking at the ruck, and then he kept on looking up and, and biting on the like, demi players. It, it, was, it, was a, it was a tremendously bad three minutes. Mm. Awful. 
But just, but it, it, it's funny with that with Jones though. It shows you that it's it's the fine margin of this series because Jones then now is a genius for taking off Harrison. When if they lose that game, he's an idiot for playing him in the first place. You know, yeah, it, it, it's same with same with Burrell Test One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that, those fine margins with with Jones though. I mean, that's his whole career. So. Um, during the week, there was a get-together, actually at the SCG, between both the English journos and the Aussie journos, and all got together and uh, basically had a piss-up. And um, it was really interesting talking to some of those guys, and like one of the perspectives, which I, you have to agree with, is they sort of say, you know, that Japanese win over the Springboks, which happened to be at that crucial part of the World Cup early on, which basically set the tone for the whole thing, that has completely ch- changed the dynamics of world rugby in that... Without that win, Jones is just a guy who ended up yes. having the lo- lowest winning record of the, any Wallabies coach, um, c- consulted with with South Africa, but then ended up having to go off and coach uh, Japan, for God's sake, and he's, on, he's basically on his way out. Suddenly, he, he wins that, and he's the genius. And then suddenly, he's the only guy that England can choose, really, as an as a experienced international coach. And now he's where he is, and now he's won those three games. So that exactly what I said last week, pretty that, much exactly. That Japanese win has just kind of changed the whole dynamics. But I mean, and the other thing is that I'm hearing whispers around the places that you know the, the spots hasn't hasn't changed that much on Eddie, and you know he's got some pretty scathing opinions about you know the, the England squad themselves, which are kind of floating around. So. It's going to be um, very interesting to see how things uh, evolve with Eddie, I think, over the, the, the next few that. years. He's had such a mixed career, because obviously he got to the World Cup final. Mm. Uh, and then, like say, he kind of bobbed up and down. It didn't work out for him in Saracens, and he went to the Reds, and that was an absolute disaster too. So why was he such? Why has he had such success with, say, the Brumbies and such a disastrous time with the Reds? Oh, I mean that's kind of that's a real historical thing. Uh, well, and the Reds, the Reds were a train wreck when he took them over. Yeah. And I think the thing about Eddie Jones is what what strikes me as and and international coaches generally, you can say this for a lot of them, especially ones that are such a strong personalities. What Eddie's are, some teams he will fit like a glove with, and they will and and, and it'll be fantastic. And then others will just not work at all. You know, it, it's rocks or diamonds, and. Yeah. Um, it appears with England, he's just found a team that fits him perfectly. And maybe, you know, that sort of inner bulldog that Eddie's always had has actually sort of, you know, he is almost like English himself in a lot of ways um, so, uh, without actually you, being English. So, and so that style is his style. This England body line, you know, real take no prisoners stuff, play to your strengths. It's Maybe so it's he, just the right man for the right job. Are you saying that it's Eddie's arrogance matched up with England's ar- arrogance, and that's what makes it to him? <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> it's a double hill. Well, I, 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 I'm thinking, maybe from Checker's perspective, uh, I, I think probably what's happening here, boys, to make you feel better, is he's just sandbagging all his tactics for the rugby championship. He's, he's, he's making it. This is a long con. He's in it for the long con. <laughs> And it's all about the rugby championship. That was a good grift if he's doing that. Well, actually, I think it's all about the 2019 Rugby World Cup, to be honest. I mean, it's the longest of long cons. <laughs> well, I mean, Stuart Lancaster made a whole career out, um, out of the long con. <laughs> Just that there were no payoffs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You know what? If I ever get into international coaching, say, next year... Um, I won't. Well, I won't accept the job until one year after the World Cup, and then I'll play that exact game. I'll say, oh, well, it's about the next... 
it, it's about the next one. Four-year building process. Yeah. No matter how badly you do or how gloriously you fail, and in so, those four years, you're always building. Well, sometimes it works because Woodward said, judge me on the World Cup. And I think, didn't he go to two World Cups? He did. Woodward. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the first, first one was so an good. absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah. The first one, Jonah Lomu ran over the yeah. top of uh, top of us in that quarterfinal. No, uh, right, no, no Tim, no. not that World Cup. Yeah. The next World Cup. Oh, the next World Cup. <laughs> Let, let's, <laughs> let's get into what you sort of touched upon. Um, uh, I mean, Hooper and Falau were outstanding throughout the series. They are true uh, unrivaled class and would get into any team in world rugby. Uh, aside from those two guys, who would, uh, who, which Aussies would get into this England team that have just whitewashed? Um, hang on, hang on. The hang on yeah, well, are you, are you, I think you're going to say what I'm, I'm about to say, uh, JB. Hooper doesn't get in the team. Hooper doesn't get in the team, no. Not pl- outplayed with seven on his shirt, Haskell. That 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 there is. Oh God! No prob- I don't want to. I don't want to admit that because I'm not. Uh, no, <laughs> great player. He, uh, but he doesn't ha- get in the team. Wow. Well, I think I think you've got to separate it. I think I, there's two ways to do this, and I'm choosing one way. It's do you pick a team if you're having a test tomorrow, and let's just pick a team based on who are the best players, or do you pick a team based on the last three tests of just who's performed the best? And if you do that, which I'm doing. Then for mine, only two Australians get in, and it's Haylett Petty and Falau. Yep. The rest, yeah. it's all, all England. Haylett uh, H- Petty is the long lost brother of Liam Williams. Th- those two boys just come out and play. They're brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Well, he's really uh, stepped up, Haylett Petty. I think uh, a lot of people, including my, you know, it was going to be the test. You know, what was it like when he went to the international stage? And he's just, you know, he's looked better than he has playing at Super, I think. He's just, he looked rock solid. It just fits some lads. Big games just fit certain certain personality types, and that's how it petty. Mm. I mean, look, the, the only thing that I'd say, oh, like, I mean, because I mouthed off about it earlier, um, is probably around the 10 thing. So Ford versus Foley um, in, in, in how they've played. Foley's been involved in a hell of a lot of... Uh, yeah, a, a head of a lot of uh, play set up, if not scoring tries, some, some of them disallowed himself. Um, I think Ford has played a, that brilliant... Like, you know... All I can remember is whenever the ball hit his hands, it was going to go onto the boot and it was going to be a pinpoint um, contestable kick. And that, I think that's really worked really well. There were two sublime passes or a sublime pass and a kick pass in that first test, which I've got to admit were really, really good. Um, but I think Foley, he, he wore a lot of that playmaking in these three tests. And I mean, I, I actually thought, you know, considering what was put on his shoulders... Um, you know whether he was scoring tries or setting him up. I th- thought he gave that a pretty good run, and if, especially if we're saying, look, Farrell's at twelve and he's doing the the, pole, the kicking for poles. Um, I don't know. There's a part of his game that I didn't think that Ford topped him in. It's, it's, I'm grasping at straws, but that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I, I would personally agree with that as well. I think all round um, Foley is well performed slightly better, but it was pleasing to see how well Ford performed after such a bad club yeah. season. Yeah. Because I don't know if you've seen much of Bath this year, no. but they were they were very very poor, and Ford in particular, who retained the tension all season when he probably should have been dropped a couple of times or at least rested a couple of times, um, he kind of played in the same manner as Bath overall, and it wasn't great. Mm. Uh, do you know an Australian who definitely won't get get in the England team? Oh, I can name a few, but Phipps is the one I'm thinking of. Uh, the guy who definitely won't get in the England team is Ben Tail. Phipps, uh, Phipps for me. In fact, uh, well, uh, maybe it was me and just me and JB. But I know Phil has got slight reservations about Ben Young's 
as well. And you guys, uh, fair play to you, piped up and said he was one player you really feared mm. uh, ahead of the series. Uh, and I've, I've got to say, he was uh, he was fantastic. Tactical kicking, mm-hmm. uh, he did the basics well. And on the flip side, um, Phipps always struck me when I watch you know Super Rugby and I've seen bits of Australia as quite a sort of uh, um, electric, zippy kind of nine. And he, um, I, he, it was almost like he was a, a ringer for England, just wearing a gold shirt. Mm. I thought he had. A, I thought he was really, really poor. Well, I'm I'm quite a Phipps defender, generally speaking. From the point of view of he's key to both what the Waratahs have done and what the Wallabies have done in lightning fast ball. So it all revolves around literally. There's no step and pass. It's straight from the base onto a pod that's you know running on at pace, and they're going to get over the um, uh, they're going to get over the gain line that way. You know, and so he was really key to that. And when it works, it works really well. As soon as it goes slow, it just falls apart. And I think that was part of the thing that England did so well was just to slow down that ball. And so, you know, and once that starts happening with Phipps, well, he doesn't have a kicking game. And because he's so focused on quick delivery, he doesn't really have much of like a around-the-edges running game. What he is very good at, though, and I thought he was good at again this season, was just cover defence. He's always there. He's got probably he's got a huge motor. And the number of times he, he you know, pulls Australia out of the, the rubbish, but... Yeah, I have to agree. He was definitely put in the shade by um, our tip, uh, Green and Gold Rugby's own Ben Youngs. I think, I think, I think that point you made on the, the slow ball and the importance of quick ball is a really good one. And it's something that England did very well was when Australia were attacking, they varied their tactics um, at the breakdown. And Rugby World did a very good um, piece of analysis on this. And it was showing that England weren't always throwing men in to slow the ball down. Often they were almost dummying going in, which meant that Australia were rushing to the ruck to to start it and then throwing three men in. And the England defender over the ruck was just kind of stepping back and stepping into the guard position. And it had a duck effect. It it slowed the ball down, but it also meant that England had significantly more numbers in defence than Australia had in attack. Um, and I don't know where, because that's something that you've not really seen from England before, but it, it was almost like a clear tactical change in defence that worked in their favour and conversely uh, was a detriment to Australia. Hey, there's some, po- there's some reasons to feel positive, guys. Uh, come on. Um, <laughs> you filled up the stadiums. That's, that's, a, that's a first. That was great. The atmospheres were fantastic. Um, uh, uh, like you say, Hewlett Petty was great. I also thought McMahon showed a lot of promise as an inter- on, as an international player as well coming in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, in, in previous matches, he kind of got swallowed up and hadn't really made that impact. But I think he was starting to make that uh, this time around. It does leave a question mark, like, what is the position that he plays? Um, he's not really the big bopper. He's um, as far as, you know, like a number eight. Um, but, you know, he does make those yards. And then I guess the question that then comes in is, well, he's, he's a lot like a hooper. Really, and you don't really need two of those guys in the back row. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's great to see him making that impact. The question is then just what do we do with him? It was funny watching him him, um, last night, and he's he's quite a smart player. And I I think um, the the funny thing, especially when we were coming off our own line, off the back of lineouts and things, where he was just running at the, yeah, quite a cross field in some cases. Basically, every time he got the ball, he just made a beeline to George Ford. 
He basically yeah. picked him out anywhere, everywhere on the field. McMahon was his worst nightmare. And Sean McMahon would just, you know, basically run across the field and then just straighten straight into the middle of George Ford's chest and just see if he could barrel over him. And about half the time he did. Um, and yeah, he, he was great. But I don't know where we play him in the back row with Pocock and Hooper and Fardy. I don't know what the answer is there. Tell me this. When you get Pocock and Hooper together, what's the logic in putting Pocock in the eight jersey? Because when you look at Pocock versus Hooper, you'd, you'd assume Hooper would be by far the superior ball carrier. I think it's probably, it's probably a bulk in scrum scene because ultimately the number on your back really only matters at the scrum. So it's just about where they pack in the scrum. And I may, I maybe Pocock's just slightly better, bulkier and a, a better presence at eight than, than maybe than on the side. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen Hooper play at eight, so I just don't know. I mean, there are you know a few skills back there as well. So I don't know if Pocock's picked those up over the years and um, Hooper doesn't have them. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's just never been a discussion point. Um, talk about positives though, and I know this is probably going to make a few people scoff. I haven't watched, I haven't managed to watch the replay yet of last night. Um, I'll inflict that on myself later. But the, I, I actually think this the Australian scrum destruction, I think, is 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 a little bit of a myth. And I actually think while we got done over tactically, um, I don't necessarily think that the whole thing's been torn apart um, and has been completely dominated. Um, there was a, like a couple of scrums that went kind of around in a wheel. Um, I remember one last night where it seemed to me that the Wallaby pack went straight over the England one. So it, it, yeah. it, it seems to me, I think, if they can get you know a little bit more experience and not get sucker punched so much, and obviously that's part of scrumming, um, it's not like the old days where that used to get just completely torn apart. Can I can I just say by the way? Can I make a plea? Uh, if if anyone from Australian the, Nash, the, the the rugby broadcasters are listening. Just like, all right, you've you've got your spider cam, fine. You've seen how it works. Can we see like the field occasionally when there's a scrum? Mix it can, up a little. Not a spider cam for every single scrum. Well, and and when the game's on, can you get the whole thing out of the way so it doesn't uh, English up and under doesn't <laughs> pound off the wire and basically change the game? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's the what's I, the, what? The, the the rule if that happens. I think there's well, see, okay, so I've I've got a spiel on this. Uh, I actually think that that in a way summed up the series in terms of luck for on our part. Yeah, look, England way better, but um, you know, it fell, it hit the wire, fell straight into an Englishman's hands, yeah. and our back three were basically coming in to field the kick, and it looked you know in position, and then all of a sudden England go to ground, and Ben Youngs looks up, and of course our back three are coming in or are you know out of position, and he just goes thank you, and he puts it straight into the corner. Rolls away, English five-meter scrum, which they score from, more or less. That's when um, Vunapola's try came from. Um, oh. And um, I don't understand how it's not the same rule as if the ball hits the ref. If the ball hits the ref, it's a scrum to the team in possession and, and, and we go on our way. And I don't know how understand how that's not the same if the ball hits a, a wire or something hanging over the field. It seems weird to leave it to chance. I think, first of all, with a kick, no one's in possession. So the ball is in the air. If the ball hits a ref, unless it's from a kick... Generally, there's a team in possession, so it could yeah. be back, back or you know, it could be an open play through hands. Here's the other thing, though: if you've conceded, if you conceded, I don't know, if it's a three-nil game to England, I think I'd be sympathetic. But you shipped forty-four points. Oh no, no, no! And I think Owens did the right thing. Like uh, I, I think Owens made. Like- I think Owens made the right decision. Like I actually think there's no law on this, and I think it's best to just put your hands up and go. Well, 
play it as it lies, and we'll just take. You've got to take the good with the bad. No, and it could have. It could have bounced anyway. No, I, I, but I think I World Rugby's just got to change the law. Spider Cam robbed us of this series. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. That's the <a> spirit. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. Just an Spider Cam's making team of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> an interesting point from I think it was the scrum that followed that, where Billy went over. Um, Hooper reacted so slowly. Yeah. Now, my my question to that was was um, was Kepu knackered because he had his ankle very heavily strapped just before that scrum, and it looked like Hooper stayed down just in, to give him some to weight. Give, yeah, yeah, to give both both flankers stayed down, and I've never seen Hooper react that slowly. So was it a consequence of Kepu being knackered? Uh, that led the flankers to be bound more heavily than they otherwise would be. Yeah. That allowed Billy to get the steal the march because he was past Hooper before Hooper was even detached from the scrum, Thing which is, would you, never normally happen. You've got Billy five meters out. I think if I was a flanker with those two options, stay on my mate's ass or try and stop uh, Billy five meters out, <laughs> I think I'd be late. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hooper has a slightly different mentality to you, though. I'm not sure he does. All <laughs> humans. <laughs> well, do you know? Do you know? Actually, I've, I've got a I've got a camera angle that no one's seen on this, but um, um, turns out Hooper. The reason why he didn't pick up Vinopola is he had sand in his eyes. Someone, one of the English players. Oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Did I get there? Was he throwing <laughs> sand in his own eyes? <laughs> it was an accident with a facial scrub. <laughs> They're dangerous. <laughs> that was that was such a smart play from Vinopola. I loved I loved that move because you, you know Australia was so paranoid about conceding scrum penalties or or pushover tries at that point. So everyone's got their head down, and for a quick quick channel one ball like that straight to the number eight. I mean that was that was just genius. Isn't that what he did in the Welsh match? Just before you guys came oh, over. If you want to see England's full array of attacking moves working, go watch a Welsh match. You'll see everything. <laughs> oh, I, I can't put myself through it, JB, at this point. Please, I'm not going to go back and watch another England victory of my own well, accord. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, we, I, I, well, for JB, it was putting himself through it, but I, I watched, as I'm sure Phil did, the, the Wales-New Zealand game. And New Zealand, you've uh, got last year. Is that next game coming up in August, is it? First, the, the first game of the Rugby Championships, the All Blacks oh, in August. I, I've blotted that from my mind, mate. I can't. Uh, I can't. Think about <laughs> yeah, that. that's yeah. it. That's coming. it. Yeah. Uh, so come on then. As as uh, we're the non-Australians, how do we? We've watched New Zealand. We've definitely watched Australia for the last three weeks. How do you see that going, Phil? I can see uh, Australia winning on home soil. I can. Um, I think New Zealand. They are in transition a little bit. I mean, they're, they're lost quite famously 700 odd caps from some of their uh, well obviously their their most experienced players there are still a few question marks over the center partnership over a couple of combinations whether they've got a, a true um seven whether mccall's sorry whether reed is as good a captain as mccall um, in terms of decision making not in terms of play and australia i think we've already said it today there's a huge number of positives that they can take out of this series so I can see Australia winning at home, New Zealand winning uh, in in New Zealand. The, the flip side is that um, uh, England have doubled their numbers of winning wins in Australia um, <laughs> in the last three weeks from the last 107 years, yeah. uh, which doesn't look good for Australia as well. Six from 107 years, though, mate. We're happy with that stat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's look, lies down. There's the statistics, isn't there? You can yeah. spin them away. Look, I, I, look, using some pub logic here as as far as how we'll go. I mean, look, just watching the Welsh guys, 
managing in what two of those tests at least to be you know near up at half time or, or close to it, but then fading and, and knowing that they've basically been on the piss for three weeks um, against New Zealand, which might explain some of those second halves. You know, if <laughs> if, if we can just stay off the piss and um, actually play a second half, you never know. I think we could be in a bit of we could be in, a, in for a run there. So um, no, no term for James O'Connor, Curtly Beal, uh, Quade Cooper, any time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I I think also though, and I know this uh, this, oh, this this could really come out the wrong way. I had a suspicion that uh, this the Kiwi test and the Bledisloe is what Checker has really been thinking about. So don't get me wrong, no one wanted this to happen. This disaster that's happened in this series, um, but I really do think, in terms of you know what the biggest thing that Australia could do sub winning a World Cup is to get that Bledisloe Cup back. That, yeah, the, that is the biggest thing for us, full stop. And I think Checker would have been thinking in the same way that he basically, you know, um, gave up the chance of maybe winning that last year because he wanted to run people for the World Cup when we went to Eden Park and he put a whole bunch of changes out of there of the team that had just won in Sydney. I do think he's looking towards that series and he's thinking, look, this, you know, horrific series loss, which I, I don't think he would have been planning for at all, but that will be a, a, a mere speed bump in history if we can, you know, if we could actually rest back the bled, which will be really tough, right? Two games in New Zealand, one game here. Um, I, I, and I think that's, um, I really would think that's where his focus would be if, if a dream could come true. And not only that, I, the politics around this game now are getting fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound disrespectful because he's a very successful coach. But there's something about Steve Hansen which I don't particularly like. And I particularly don't like the words he came out with towards Czech uh, this, uh, uh, this week and last. I thought it was, I thought it was, it was pretty beneath him, actually, considering he's a World Cup winning coach. But there again, yeah, I think that I could coach the All Blacks to at least one World Cup. Uh, <laughs> it, he's basically standing behind a collection of the best players in the world. And from that position, he's used it to... to um, to belittle the belittle the Australian team. I really hope he gets. I really hope he gets his comeuppance. Oh yeah, I mean that, there wouldn't be many pictures in world rug, rugby that would be nicer than watching his face. It'd be like a bulldog, you know, licking piss off a nettle. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> if, 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 if we if we beat him, oh god, it'd be good. When was the last time that he coached in Super Rugby? Because I seem to think that he went to Wales, did marginally okay. He's hid behind Graham Henry for God knows how long. Finally inherits, it, finally inherits the best team in the world. And by his own admission, he says, oh, well, we don't do much coaching here. You know, you know, the uh, players look after themselves. It's all about culture and putting tape in the bin. Mm. He's got to come unstuck soon. He has to. Yeah. Well, look, I-, I was actually just listening to your guys' pod just yesterday, actually, when, when you were discussing New Zealand coaches. And, like, you're talking about Gatlin with... Wales and those sorts of things and I think we saw it with Robbie Deans I believe is that when you get these Kiwi coaches that come to another non-Kiwi country where you know rugby isn't in the water kids aren't given high level skills at the age of four and so that by mm-hmm. the time they get to the national squad they're pretty much the finished article you just have to decide who you want to slot in where when they then come to another country like Australia or dare I say Wales and you just don't have that breadth of skill um, and you know you find these coaches they then they settle right and they they start actually i I think they really kind of bring in their ambition and they suddenly go, well, these guys are a bunch of idiots i 'll just get them to play this you know this dumb way um, and you could see it with Robbie Deans he gave it a go for a little while, but then basically um, you know in the lead up to the lines tour just lost his bundle and said, oh 
we're just going to play, um, you know, tr- try not to lose it tight rugby. And I think, you know, for me, that's where kind of where Gatlin is. It's like we're just going to make we're going to create a meat grinder because that's all these guys can do. Um, so. I, I, it's like he's been proved right, though. I mean, there's nothing to suggest in the Welsh regions that we can play any other way. Hmm. So, I, I mean, I love Gatland, actually. I love him like a father. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strange well, relationship you got there, but yeah. <laughs> just, just kind of to, to sort of wrap up, um, obviously, uh, I suppose it, it, on the one hand, uh, the England win is being overshadowed in the news by uh, other big uh, stories that's going on up here. Um, but obviously, people are full of praise. The England football team aren't doing very well, which makes it even better for uh, the England rugby team that, they're, that they've had such a great win. What are, what are o- Aussies saying um, about Australia and about England. You? Uh, well, I don't know. I think that there's 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 ravers on the internet. We get a few rant, ranters on our side on the comments board. It can get a bit it can get a bit rabid and a few there's a few um, favorite p- people that get a lot of a few favorite scapegoats, if you will. Will Skelton's one of them. Um, Nick Phipps is another one. Bernard Foley cops a lot of flack as well. Um, Rob Horn too. I mean, his haircut and socks. Yes. Um, so there's a few, but yeah, look, it's it's a mix. Everyone's pretty disappointed, you know, to to go from the high of the World Cup or what was very, you know, a really good performance to to now is pretty deflating. There's a sort of still a bit of an optimism around that, you know, my mates are all go well, you know, we played pretty well and we can't be too down about it. But at the same time, yeah, you'd be it's pretty flat. It's it's pretty pretty def- it's deflating, um, and um, and England. The thing is, and, and I think what I said about that the the villains in England is relevant. We can't summon the hate for this England side. There's no real, no one's going around kicking over bins or anything about it. I mean, they're they're just a better team, and they're they're you know they're fairly likable and they play a good style. They're not su- they're not particularly negative, and and so Mike everyone's Brown. <coughs> Mike Brown. Oh yeah, I know. Well, luckily Mike's been so pretty anonymous the whole series, so. Um, it hasn't been much of a problem there, but so so, so it's this kind of weird calm of it all, where where we can't even get hyped up to hate England because ultimately it's it's been a great series and and they were deserving winners. Mate, I I'll, mean, I'll, I'll I, except I'll, except of course all the refs were were completely um corrupt and and completely <laughs> in England's pockets. I mean that's the only other point. But <laughs> other than that, Chris, we have yeah. we have we have reached peak Eddie though. I mean it is wall to wall Eddie Jones. <laughs> Oh. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, um, even on my Twitter feed, I think it was on Friday, was, you know, Eddie Jones basically around Coogee, which is where Randwick, which is the rugby club that he, Bob Dwyer, um, Czech all played at, and there's, you know, a whole bunch of legends all came out of Randwick at around about that time. And it's just like, you know, all these photos of him at Randwick being hugged by these greats and all this sort of stuff. It's just, it, it has been wall-to-wall Eddie Jones. And I, and I think it's been fed as much by the English pressures that has by any Australian, actually. Yeah, well, Tim, what's what's the feeling like over there about Eddie specifically, but also just the series? Because, I mean, I don't see that, you know, see that coverage. I mean, is it is it um, adoring or is it, you know, is, what's the level of um, fervor? Uh, well, I would I would say we've got we've got the European Football Championships, um, yeah, on it, which is totally diluting the experience for us rugby fans. Um, and, and then you've got the referendum stuff, which just dominated it. So we had a referendum. Oh yeah, but apparently, apparently <laughs> we, had a, we, had, we had we had a referendum about staying staying in the EU or not. Anyway, uh, so all of that has, all of that has diluted uh, the, the, this experience. But I think so. Really, you you have to only ask the already 
uh, rugby community and they are uh, ecstatic, elated after years of pain. And ever since Clive Woodward, we've had a string of poor, poor, not even not not even average, poor England coaches. Martin Johnson, Brian Ashton. Well, Brian Ashton got to a World Cup final, so let's let's leave him out. Andy Robinson, Martin Johnson, and Stuart Lancaster, who was a great bloke. But, oh, come on, but, come off it, Tim. Great culture, great, great wonderful culture. culture. So, so no, we are we are so optimistic about the future because the other thing, the average age of that England team that won three nils, what twenty five, twenty six. Uh, oh. So we are give it three years and man alive, who knows how good prize winning Marrow is going to be? Who knows how good Billy Vanapola is going to be by ben, then? Ben Tail. Ben Taylor, who knows ben how he's going to be? Thirty-four-year-old Ben Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I think just so optimism is 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 the word, and we've not had that for a long time. Yeah. Well, look, we're getting towards the end of the podcast, so we probably don't have time for it. But I just, I'm a bit disappointed we didn't get to have our, our regular cultural insensitive moment. <laughs> Usually driven by JB, but I was going to go just wade straight into the Brexit thing and uh, just ask how yeah. you guys feel about you know basically having a the peso now and all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> I think we probably run out of time. But anyway, yeah. Tim, Tim JB could talk for hours and probably will do straight after this podcast um, about this. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll, we'll better let you guys to it then. Well, yeah. all it means is going to be a, it's probably probably going to be a bit cheaper if you guys wanted to come and uh, come and join us in person for the pod. You can borrow um, you can borrow one of my wheelbarrows and we can load it with money and pay for breakfast. <laughs> well, I've still got a bit of a pension over there, actually, from when I was working there. I was just wondering if I can get it out in sausages or something like that. <laughs> Turnips. <laughs> just, just one last thing before we do all go. Um, I've just looked up. Can Steve. we sign a trade deal? I've just looked up uh, Steve Hansen and Warren Gatland's record with Wales now Gatland has won 50% just over 50% of his test matches Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve Hansen won 33% of his test matches and the the teams that he beat so he didn't beat any tier 1 nation (laughs) he he beat Canada twice Fiji once, Italy three times Romania once, Scotland twice if you do count them as a tier Tier one nation, and then Tonga once. This guy's he an lost absolute he, chancer. He lost once for <laughs> five times to England, three times to France, three times to Ireland, three times to New Zealand, twice to South Africa. So the bled, the bled's coming home, boys. The bled is coming home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We found the weak link. That is an appalling coaching record. Yeah, uh, it sounds like he was bullied to me. It sounds like they uh, they gave him a bit of bullying. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it. Well, um, listen, can I just say that it, it was it was you, Matt, that got in touch with us and suggested this, and I'm sure you didn't expect it to be yeah. as painful experience as it was. But um, I, I can speaking for the three of us, we've um, it's, it's been a it's been a joy and a pleasure, and, and we should definitely do it again no, come the the autumn. No, mate, good. it's been great for us as well. Um, uh, we really enjoyed it. I know. I think the listeners have as well. So um, yeah, thanks for being up for it, guys. Anytime. Um, how, 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 how do we end this? Well, you sign off, Matt Rowley. Come on, you, you, you sign us off. I signed us in. You sign us off. Okay, well, look, just to, to say to, to all listeners, um, our usual sign-off is, uh, you know, thanks for letting us come in your ears, and we'll speak to you next time. Yeah, right there, right there.